Thank you. It's really a privilege to be with you because everything I see so far in uh, the commission has made me encouraged. And I'll say more about that as we go along and give you specifics. But uh, thank you for singing the way you do. I love to preach into a singing people. So let me pray that God would help me now and help you and make us connect. Father, I ask that you would come and be our teacher. I ask Holy Spirit that you would draw near and guard me from error, cause me to be faithful to your word, grant me wisdom, grant protection from not only error, but pride or failing to feel emotions that are appropriate to your word, and grant that this people would have a heart to hear and to receive and to be transformed by whatever truth is spoken. So build our faith now, strengthen these churches that are represented here, make the impact through this weekend uh, stronger than we could ever imagine for the sake of the, the churches, the network, the city, and this nation, and indeed the world, for the glory of Christ, we pray in His name, amen. Between the time that I gave the titles for the messages, the three messages, and when I, I prepared the messages, I, I changed everything around. So, uh, still money, sex, and power, and walking in the light, but here, here's the way we're, I'm going to do it, and, and you who planned everything shouldn't change anything, okay? So, on page 14 here, it's got the title for today, if you have your, your booklet, and uh, I'm going to devote the first message now to definitions and foundations and then, what, at 11.30 or whenever the next message is, I'm going to devote the message to defeating the dangers of money, sex, and power, all of them together. And then tomorrow, deploying the potentials of money, sex, and power. So instead of dividing them up into one day for money, one day, one day for sex, one day for power. Um, it's money, sex, and power every day with <laughs> definitions, defeating, and deploying, all of them every day. So that's, that's the new plan, and I, I'm sorry I didn't get that news to anybody because I just prepared them recently. <laughs> now, what I have found... Here's my reason for starting with definitions. What I have found in all my arguments over the years and all my efforts to explain Bible passages over the years is that when you try to define what you're talking about, you usually realize that it's an iceberg with a massive reality underneath it that you're not conscious of until you start trying to define it. And money, sex, and power are like that. 
take money, for example. Um, money would be, my first effort at a definition would be a currency of some kind, the paper kind or the coins, or in another culture it might be stones or beans, or in our culture it might be electronic impulses on your phone that can be traded with other electronic impulses so that your bank account goes up and down and you haven't seen any currency anywhere. But beneath that simple definition of of a cultural symbol of value that can be exchanged for something you want, there's another whole reality of desires that are being carried by that currency. I want that. And so there's, there's covetousness and greed underneath the currency. And underneath that, there's, there's a heart that's discontent and sinful and using money to get what it wants in illicit ways, greedy ways, covetous Ways. And so you realize this, this iceberg called currency, uh, it has a nine-tenths of it is under the water, and it's not the iceberg that's going to kill you. Your, your boat's going to be ripped open by the jagged edges of all those sinful dimensions underneath the currency that puts it to one use or the other. And so you, by just trying to define what you're dealing with, realize it's way bigger than you, than you thought. And then I was sitting with uh, some friends last week as I was working on this, and in the conversation it emerged that in setting up this iceberg image, which I just gave you, I totally skewed the whole thing in a negative direction so that now you're thinking that when I think about money, I'm mainly thinking about dangers, problems, covetousness, greed, exploitation, when in fact, all the guys around the table said, aren't you going to say that it's a good gift from God with some possibilities for goodness, like buying a gift for a friend or giving to a charity or supporting a missionary? I said, oh yeah, I should probably probably talk about that. (laughs) It's one of the values of, of community. So, so important that we not be left alone even to deal with the Bible because God has ordained that people speak into our lives and blind spots are taken away. So, hence the new structure of the messages. (laughs) Like, okay, definitions today, and then dangers. Yes, they really are. Money, sex, and power are fraught with dangers. We need to figure out how to defeat them. And And then, yes, there is great potential for money, sex, and power, and those should be deployed in positive ways. That's how the structure of the three talks came, came into being. So, we're dealing now with definitions, and as you try to deal with definitions, you come to terms with some really profound foundational realities. But it would be good, I think, if we read the text that I'm eventually going to get to. So if you have a Bible or you want to look at this on one of those electronic devices, that's great. Romans chapter 1, 
And in a little while, I will get to this, and it will be both for this message and the next message the most important passage that we'll deal with, and we'll deal with numerous other passages. So I'm going to read verses 18 to 28. And here's what you should listen for. Listen for the foundational problems of the human race which give rise to distortions in sexuality. That's explicit here. And think of the same kind of distortions in money, the same kind of distortions in power, and where all that distortion is coming from. Why are the good gifts of money, sex, and power so destructive in the world? Because the answer is here in this text, and you should be watching for it as I read. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against… I'm reading from the ESV in case it It's like yours or or a little bit unlike yours. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened." I'm just, there's where I'm going to tie in walking in the light. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, that's us, images of ourselves, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to do what ought not to be done. So it's pretty clear there that there's a connection between what we're doing at the vertical level with the glory of God and what we're doing at the horizontal level sexually. So we'll come to that shortly. Let me give you some definitions. It seems to me that even though uh, you want to 
I want to jump right in and start unpacking that for you. If I'm going to use the terms money, sex, and power, I really should try to make clear what I'm talking about. So let's start with money. Um, Money is a culturally defined representation of quantities of value. So the the culturally defined representation would be a pound here, dollar, paper, coin. That's a cultural thing. It's, It's not worth much in itself. The paper is not worth much. It represents what the culture has agreed you could exchange it for. So it's always going to uh, signify, what you do with it is going to signify what you want, what you value. That's why it becomes really important to get that definition clear. Money is a culturally defined representation of possible exchanges of value. And thus your heart, what you value, is revealed by what you do with that piece of paper or that piece of metal. You can spend it, you can give it, you can keep it. And with all of those, you signify where your heart is. So you can spend it. Food, a gift for a friend, a lottery ticket, a prostitute. Pretty wide range, and you can spend money and signify where your heart is. I love my friend, I want a prostitute. Or you can give it. You can give it to a young person going on a mission trip. You can give it uh, to somebody that you're blackmailing to keep secret, a dark part of your life. Or you can give it in bribery to try to get a job. So your money will signify how you are orienting to God and to life by what you intend to get by either the spending of it or the giving of it, or thirdly, the keeping it. You could keep money to uh, shore up your insecurities and, and put a thick pad under your life, or you could uh, keep it in order to wisely avoid debt by saving for some appliance that otherwise you would have to borrow money to get, which would be foolish. And so your keeping is a wise, intelligent use of money. So whether you give it, whether you spend it, whether you keep it, it could be good or it could be bad. Money is simply the representation of possible values that you can exchange it for, and what you exchange it for is a readout of your heart, which is why it is so full of danger and so full of potential. The currency itself, not the issue, which is why we have to wrestle with the things underneath. So that's my effort to come to terms with what I mean by Money. Here's what I mean by sex. By sex, I mean the experiencing of erotic stimulation. The word erotic there, I do not mean negatively. It's neither good nor bad at this point. It's a good gift of God. All these are money, sex, and power, good gifts of God. And whether they become dangers that go 
bad or whether they are potentials that are used for the glory of God depends on other things that we're going to talk about. But at this point, just defining. So it's the experience, sex, as I'm using it, is the experience of erotic stimulation, feeling, or the effort to get that, or the effort about, or a, a woman may have sexual feelings about a pastor as she sits there longing her husband would have some of that love for Jesus, and uh, the feelings blend into a kind of affection that can really go bad or be forsaken quickly. Another clarification, sex, as I've defined it, may be happening when there's no erotic effect whatsoever in a man or a woman. For example, um, you may be dressing, male or female, or you may be acting in a way that you hope will awaken an attraction, an erotic effect in another and it not be working, which means sex is happening and nobody's getting any pleasure. And it can go both ways there, trying to stimulate another by the way you dress or the way you look or the way you act, male or female, and it not, not working and no pleasure is happening on either side. So, those three things are what I mean by sex. The, the experience of erotic stimulation, the effort to get it or the effort to give it, whether it's successful or not, is what I mean by, by sex, which means it can be beautiful or it can be illicit and ugly, all depending on submission to God's Word and, and the condition of your heart. And then lastly, let's define power. What, what are you thinking when you think power? I bounced that off my friends last week, and it was clear that we, we had all kinds of different thoughts in our heads, which is why it's so important to get definitions on the table. What I mean by power is the capacity, that's the word I'm using instead of power, the capacity to get what you want. That's my definition of power the capacity to get what you want. Now, that capacity may lie in great physical strength. It may lie in the fact that you have a gun. It may lie in the fact that you have a position of authority, a parent, a teacher, a policeman, parliament member, or it may lie in the fact that you have more money, these do overlap, than anyone else in the group. Or it may lie in the fact that you are very beautiful or handsome. All of those are capacities that could be used to get what you want. And none of them is evil per se. Even a gun. <laughs> you all think Americans pack guns all the time. <laughs> well, I'm thankful when a policeman has a gun and I'm being robbed. So... Um, 
These capacities, all those that I listed, none of them I intend to be in themselves sinful. They're just capacities. And it, wh- whether they are good or evil depends, am I going to use them to get something I want that I shouldn't want? Or am I going to use them to get something that's okay to want in a way that I shouldn't do it? And there are all kinds of ways to use guns and prettiness and money that way. God is the decisive giver of all power, and we should never, ever think that we have any of these capacities on our own. He is the one who gives all power, and if there's any capacity in you, and there is, there are many capacities in you, all of you have capacities, spiritual gifts and natural gifts are capacities to bring about things that you want to bring about and get effects and results that you want to get, and none of them is from you. None of your capacities, natural or spiritual, is from you. And we do great evil to God if we do not acknowledge Him as the source and owner of all power. Now, there are some overlaps between money, sex, and power. And what I discovered in my effort to define them is that in the way I want to work with these, they're, they're the same. That's why I found if I was going to do money one day and sex one day and power one day, I'd wind up saying the same thing every day. That's what I stumbled upon as I began to work with Romans 1 and think through what's the problem with each of these. They are all, here's what I mean when I say they're all the same. They are each ways of displaying God's supreme worth in your life or not. You can use sex, you can use money, and you can use power to display how precious God is to you or how supremely precious something else is to you. They they all have the same root issue. They are given to us by God to enable us with them to magnify the worth of God or to put God out of the picture and magnify the worth of what we do with them and what we try to get with them. Either God or not God is our God, and it all comes out in sex, money, and power. So let me state the definitions again in a way that makes that clear. Power is a capacity to pursue your value. Who is it? Money is a cultural symbol that can be exchanged in pursuit of what you value. Who is that? What is that? Sex is one of the pleasures that people value and the pursuit of it. Will we do that? Will we pursue it 
in a way that makes it the taste of his supreme value? Or will we block him out, nullify him, put him off to the side so that we can have this thing that we really want and it's not him? They're all the same. The issues are the same. Either we use money, sex, and power to put the worth of God on display, or we use the money, sex, and power to put something else valuable that we prefer on display. So now we turn to Romans 1. And I invite you to look at it because I want to test whether that last little piece there is biblical. Because I, I got that from Romans 1. I got that idea that money, sex, and power are really about means of magnifying the value of God in the world or minimizing the value of God in the world and magnifying the value of other things, family, possessions, control, erotic feelings, am I living in such a way as to show those are my supreme values, or am I using these things in order to show clearly that God is my supreme value? So here we are at Romans 1, 18. Paul is drilling down now through behavior, sinful behavior, to sinful hearts. And we need to know what our hearts are like. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So mankind in general and all of us in this room, apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit through belief in the gospel of Christ, apart from that, we are all being described here. Know oh, how I know myself from this passage. Because we are never in this life until we get to glory through death or the second coming, we are never free from the power of the old man and his effort to assert himself as the man and the identity, which he isn't when you are in Christ Jesus. And these things are very present to me. So, in ungodliness, we suppress the truth. We suppress the light. So, the opposite of walking in the light, which is the banner flying over these messages, is walking in truth suppression, darkness. Here, here, the, the light starts to rise, it starts to shine like it is through those, through those doors there because God is so bright outside right now, and, and we suppress it. Shut the door! Shut the door! We like it dark in here because then nobody can see reality for what it is. That's the way life is for unrighteous people. God is shining His glory everywhere. There are evidences of God in the Bible, in nature, in mankind, everywhere, and we are devoting 24-7, apart from the Holy Spirit, to suppressing that so that we cannot tell which way is up or down or in or out. That's what ungodliness 
is, verse 18. By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They don't want to live in the light of truth. They want to live in the, in the darkness. Sin, our sinful nature, repels the light and we run to the darkness. And Jesus said, John 3, that we are not victims of the darkness. We are lovers of the darkness. Here's the verse. This is John 3, 19. Light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light. The mark of our sinful nature is that it inclines to suppress the light. Now, question. What truth is being suppressed here in this text? What light is being darkened in this text? Verse 19, because what can be known about God, that's the truth that's being suppressed. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So knowledge of God is the truth. It's the light. And it's known by everybody in Great Britain. Every single human being in Britain knows God. That's what it says. Because what can be known about God is plain to them. Verse 20. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, clearly perceived, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Verse 21, although they knew God. And we suppress it. Everybody knows God and everybody is guilty of suppressing the truth, the light of what is revealed about God in the world, in our conscience, in nature. In the human family, we all know God and we all suppress the truth. Verse 20, so they are without excuse. Why? Verse 21, because they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, what's the darkness here? The, the darkness here is the preference for man exaltation over God exaltation. You see that? They did not glorify God. Didn't glorify Him as God or give Him thanks. So, they didn't, they didn't embrace as glorious and beautiful and satisfying and valuable, the beauty of God. They didn't embrace that as their treasure, and they didn't say thank you for anything they were enjoying, all of which comes from God. That's where we are in this world today. Billions and billions of people looking God right in the face, knowing Him, and not treating Him as glorious, treating Him as valuable, 
supremely valuable. But suppressing it and embracing the darkness rather than the light. But then something else happens here. Because the human heart hates a vacuum. We, we never, we never leave God because we value Him little. We also exchange God because we value something else more. Let me say that again. Nobody leaves God, forsakes God, abandons God, suppresses God, turns away from God simply because they value Him little. We always turn away from God because we value something else more, which is why it is such a cosmic insult and infinite outrage. This is the infinite outrage in the universe, that human beings prefer something else to God. So here we are at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here it comes. They exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images. They became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images. Now just think that through, because you've all done it. And we're tempted to do it every day. To exchange something for something means to express a preference, right? You don't exchange something you value supremely for something you value less. Never. You always exchange something for something that you want instead of it. You don't want that. You, you want the other thing. That's what exchange means. I want the other thing. And everybody does that with God. We look at His glory. We look at His power. We look at His wisdom. We look at His beneficence. And we don't say thank you. We don't say you're great. We say, I am going to trade you for something that I really want. That is why hell exists. Because it is an infinite sin. You can't do anything worse. There's nothing worse that can be done. Sins are simply expressions of that. Sins get all of their evil from that. That's evil. What we call evil, hurting each other, that's just little, little expressions of that. All the rottenness that we do to each other is deriving its rottenness from the ultimate rot of exchanging God, saying that the infinite Creator and the most beautiful reality in the universe. I don't want you. I don't prefer you. You're not attractive to me. You're not satisfying to me. I get no pleasure from you. This is my desire. This is my treasure. That is evil. That's the meaning of evil. And all other evils get their evil from that, including the evils of money, sex, and power, which Paul is going to make crystal clear in the next hour. So let me see if I can wrap it up here and get us ready to, to go to the dangers of 
money, sex, and power uh, later. The deepest problem that we're dealing with behind money, behind sex, and behind power is that we all know the supreme value of God. We do. Everybody does. Everybody you'll ever talk to, atheist, skeptic, agnostic, secularist, new age, whatever religion, everybody knows the truth. Namely, God is supremely valuable. And everybody prefers something to God. Adam and Eve thought they were doing a wise thing when they preferred their way and this fruit over God and His way. And they became fools and were darkened in their understanding. And we've inherited that all the way down to the roots of our being. There are two kinds of heart condition in the world. The one that values God overall and the one that values something else overall. The, the, the main issue you're going to be facing as we are meeting together here is whether your hearts are treasuring God supremely above everything else. I mean everything evil and everything good. All the good things God has given you, all the evil things the, the devil is tempting you with. And I'm saying that more than the good things and more than the evil things, is God your treasure? Is God your satisfaction? Is God your delight? Because if He, if he is, money, sex, and power will turn into remarkable potentials in your life. And if He's not, money, sex, and power will become unbelievably destructive in your hands. So, summary, power, the capacity to pursue what you value most, the glory of God as your satisfaction or something else, money, the cultural symbol that can be exchanged in pursuit of what you value most, God or something else, and sex, one of the pleasures that people value and the pursuit of it, and whether or not the pursuit of it is for the taste that it is of the glory of God, or if God is being shoved aside so that you can taste it the way you want. Let's pray. Father, as we have now dipped just briefly into this stunning word from the Apostle Paul that the exchanging of the glory of your great value for other things is the root issue behind money, sex, and power dangers. Grant, I pray, that you would shine. Show yourself by the Holy Spirit through the Gospel as gloriously Beautiful and all-satisfying, I pray in Jesus' name.